Hello, everyone. Uh, uh, This morning's Bible reading can be found uh, on page 717. We're going to be splitting into two sections. Uh, The first section will be uh, Mark chapter 11, 27 to chapter 12, verse 12. So if you'd like to follow along with me. This is just after Jesus had entered Jerusalem and uh, the last section we looked at last week was the withered fig tree. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, And I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvellous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. And this 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 is an important morning for our state. We've chosen a new leader after 16 years of one party, now we've chosen a different party to be in power. And, well, this is really big, isn't it? Well, or is it? So my question for you is, we've voted in the Liberal Party, we've voted in Stephen Marshall. Do you really think of Stephen Marshall as your leader? I mean, he'll run the state. But how much do you really intend to follow him? How much do you think you'll change your life so that you can follow Stephen Marshall? Yes, we might have this new state leader, but really, let's be honest, we don't actually follow him all that much. 
We vote for him today, but if we're dissatisfied with him tomorrow, then we'll kick him out. But it begs the question, doesn't it? What would it take for you to actually follow someone? Not just to vote for them. That's easy. I could vote for anyone. I may not want to, but I could. But what would it take for you to actually follow someone? I mean, really follow someone, to be led by them, to be under their authority. What would it take? In today's passage, we see a clash of leadership. In Mark 11, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he doesn't come as a regular person. He comes as a king. He comes as a king uh, awaiting his coronation. The thing is, the leaders in the city, the leaders in Jerusalem, they don't actually think that Jesus is their king. They don't see him as any kind of a leader, in fact. And today, as Jesus walks through Jerusalem, we're going to see Jesus clash with the leaders of this city. And we're going to be left with a question. What about you? Who would you follow? Who would your leader be? What would it take for you to live with someone as your leader? This is an important question, isn't it? It's an important question for our lives. So why don't I pray and ask that God would help us to hear his word today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which we've heard read out and which we're now going to spend some more time thinking about. Father, where my words are your words, we pray that we'd all hear it. Where my words are not your words, we pray that they would fall to the ground. Knowing that you are our God, we pray that we would hear you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first point today is that Jesus is the leader who has authority because he comes from God. In verse 27, the leaders of the city come to Jesus and they all line up together there. There's the, uh, there's the chief priests and the teachers of the law. There's the elders of the city. They're all there and they come to ask Jesus a question. This is the question in verse 28. By what authority? This is what they say to Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? They don't like Jesus very much. They don't think of him as a leader. And just the day before, Jesus had caused this great commotion in the temple. He stopped all the business from happening there, and that's no good for the economy. So they challenged Jesus' authority. They say, who let you do this? Who said you could do this, Jesus? And at first glance, it doesn't seem like Jesus gives them an answer at all. He asks them a question. They don't answer. So Jesus doesn't answer their question either. It's a bit like modern politics, isn't it? But if we look a bit closer, Jesus does actually hint at an answer. Jesus asks a question about John the Baptist. Verse 30, Jesus asks, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. What about John's baptism, he says? What about John's ministry? What John did? Where did John get his authority? Was it from heaven? Was it ordained by God or was it of human origin? Did he just make it up himself? This is actually the question 
the same question that the leaders of the city are asking Jesus. They want to know where Jesus thinks he gets his authority from. So in turn, Jesus asks them if they can identify where John's authority came from. Now, we know the answer to this, don't we? In Mark chapter 1, John is described as the messenger sent by God. There's no doubt about it. John's authority comes from heaven. It comes from God. And Jesus is hinting that the same thing is actually true for him as well. Just as John had authority from heaven, from God, so too Jesus has his authority from none other than God himself. But the city leaders, well, they refuse to answer the question about John. They don't acknowledge that John had come from God. And if they don't acknowledge that John had come from God, well, then they're not going to acknowledge that Jesus had come from God either. But Jesus is giving us a hint here. He's, he's saying that I'm the leader who has authority. That's our first point for the day. Jesus is the leader who has authority because he comes from God. Second point today is, Jesus is the leader who has authority because he comes from God. Sound familiar? We see this in the parable of the wicked tenants. In the parable, God is the owner of a vineyard. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often referred to as a vineyard. And that's the case here too. Israel is a vineyard and the leaders are the tenants. They're the people who are supposed to care for the vineyard, care for the people. But when God sends his servants, when God sends his prophets, how are they treated? Quite horribly. The leaders don't respect the prophets. Instead, they beat them. They're treated shamefully. They're even killed. And this mirrors exactly the history of Israel. You go back and read the Old Testament. This is exactly what happens. So in the parable, God sends... One more. Not a prophet this time, but a son. His son. And what do the tenants do? They kill the son too. And Jesus knows that this is his lot. He knows he too will be killed. He'll be killed by the very leaders that at this moment are standing right in front of him. In this parable, Jesus tells these leaders that God is against them. But notice the leaders also get an answer to their question. Earlier, they asked Jesus, whose authority do you have? Who gave you authority to do these things? And here in this parable, Jesus tells them. Jesus is the son. He's the one sent by the owner of the vineyard. He's the one sent by God. His authority comes from God. Jesus is the leader because he has authority from God. Now, Jesus' authority is not like the university lecturer. A university lecturer has authority because they've studied, they're an expert, they've researched every bit about this particular area. But Jesus' authority is not like that. Jesus' authority is not like a diplomat. A diplomat has authority because they represent another leader. But Jesus' authority is not like that. What is Jesus' authority like? Let me illustrate from The Crown. Last week I mentioned that I started watching a TV show called The Crown. It's about the life of Queen Elizabeth II. And I promise I won't give away any spoilers here. But in the second episode, she's off in Kenya. 
She's not the queen yet. Her father, the king, is still alive. And he was supposed to go on this uh, grand tour of parts of the Commonwealth. But his health is declining. So instead of the king, Princess Elizabeth, she's not yet queen, Princess Elizabeth travels around doing all the official duties in his place. And in the episode, she visits Kenya. And in Kenya, they treat her as if she's the ruler. She's not yet. Her father, the king, is still alive. Why do they treat her as the ruler then? Well, it's because she comes from the king. But it's not just that. She's not any old diplomat. She comes from the king. She comes from the one who is royal. And she herself is royal. She carries all the royal authority with her. And that's more like what's going on with Jesus here. He comes from God, but not just as a mere representative from God. He's not like one of the prophets. He's more than that. Just as, the, just as Princess Elizabeth shared royalty with her father, so Jesus shares divine power with his father, divine authority with his father. Jesus has God's authority because he too is divine. He is, he's God in the flesh, God with us. Jesus is the leader with true authority. So Jesus comes as a leader. He comes with great authority, with God-given authority. And so in this great clash of leaders that's happening in Mark 11 and 12, in this great clash of leaders, who really leads? Who's the real leader? It must be Jesus, mustn't it? Have you ever felt this clash of leadership in your life? I'm sure, I reckon, if, if you're a Christian, you probably feel this every day. All sorts of people claim to know, you know what's best for you. We constantly hear that we should be doing this or that. We're pulled by society to say, you should think like this and don't think like that. Our own desires even pull us away from God. When you feel this clash of leadership in your own life, Who do you choose? Who do you choose to follow? Will it be Jesus? Of course, there are some of us here today who are still unsure about this whole Christian thing. And maybe today makes you even more unsure. After all, who would give up their their entire freedom to let somebody else rule their life? That can sound bizarre. But this question really goes to the core of Christianity. We're asking the question, who's Jesus? Can I trust him? Can I trust him to lead me? The passage says Jesus is the real leader who comes with real authority, authority from God. What do you make of that? What do you think it would look like to live life with Jesus as the leader as your leader. That's what the second part of chapter 12 is about. Andrew's going to come up here and read it out for us in a moment. Come on up, Andrew. But let me encourage you, if you're still wrestling with Christianity, stay tuned. I'm going to talk to Christians particularly in a moment, but I want you to stay tuned. Because as we think about what it's like to live under Jesus' leadership, I want to ask you a question. Is this something that you could do? Are you ready to let Jesus rule your life? 
Andrew's going to read for us from Mark twelve thirteen. Thanks, Scott. Just as an aside before I start, I was in Kenya earlier this year and visited some of those spots that Queen Elizabeth uh, was at uh, during or before and after her coronation. Very interesting. The next section uh, is from Mark chapter 12. We'll be starting at verse 13 and finishing at verse 37. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He said. Bring me a Demarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, But of the living, you are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding And with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far away from the kingdom of God. 
And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. The third point for today is about life under the leadership of Jesus. Life under Jesus' leadership looks like A, B, C and D. What does that mean? Let me fill that out for you. It looks like A, as in all in. In verses 14 and 15, some of the leaders come to Jesus and ask him about paying taxes. They ask with bad motives, but Jesus answers beautifully. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. We know what belongs to Caesar. The coins, the money, that belongs to Caesar. It's got Caesar's image on it. What then belongs to God? What has God's image on it? Isn't that you? Isn't that me? Isn't that humanity? For we are made in the image of God. We belong to God. And Jesus is calling us to give our whole selves over to God. As leader, Jesus calls us to go all in with God. With God, we don't hedge our bets. We don't try and have a foot in two camps. It's not one foot in with God and the other foot in with comfort or the other foot in with lifestyle or career. All in means all in. That means I don't squeeze God in around the rest of my life. I organise, I plan, I fit my life around God, for he's at the centre. I fit my life around God and what God wants, what God desires for me. It's a big core, friends. It's, it's comprehensive. It means our entire existence changes. It's so big that, well, it can be hard to know where to start. And that's okay. The next couple of things are going to help flesh that out a little bit for us. But the question I want to ask here is, are you hedging your bets? Do you have a foot in both camps, in with God and something else? Or are you all in with God? A life under Jesus' leadership looks like, A, being all in with God, and it looks like, B, the Bible. In verse 18, another group of leaders comes to Jesus and they ask him a question. These guys are called Sadducees. We don't know much about the Sadducees, but we do know that they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in an afterlife. Once you're dead, you're dead, according to the Sadducees. And so they ask Jesus a question about life in the resurrection. Clearly, they're not interested in the answer. They're only asking to make trouble for Jesus because they don't believe in the resurrection. But Jesus, he turns the tables on them. He says clearly there is an afterlife. The resurrection is a reality. 
And if only they'd read their Bibles better, well, they'd know it too. That's the problem. That's the problem for the Sadducees. Look at verse 24. Jesus says to them, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? Friends, we've spoken a little bit about, a little bit about Steph this morning. Steph is a dear friend to us. Uh, as it's been mentioned already, she was a missionary in Central Asia preaching the gospel to people who had no other way of finding out about Jesus. Steph is someone who knows both the scriptures and the power of God. And this is a beautiful thing. She knows her Bible. She knows her Bible so much so that she went overseas to help others get to know the Bible. And because Steph knows her Bible, she knows the power of God. She knows that God has the power to raise her body, her body which has been ravaged by disease. God has the power to raise her body to new life. And that's what she's waiting for. Soon that's what she'll experience. Steph is someone who knows both the scriptures and because she knows the scriptures, she knows the power of God as well. Friends, do you know the power of God? Let me encourage you. Read your Bible. For in the Bible, on every page, writ large, is the message of the power of God. Are you unsure if God has, is a God of power? Read the Bible. Life under Jesus' leadership looks like being all in for God. It looks like knowing our Bibles. And it looks like commands. A, B, C. In verse 27, we finally get a question from someone who's interested in an answer. He wants to know which is the most important command of them all. Now, commands often get a bad rap, don't they? Instinctively, we don't like commands. We don't like being told what to do. But listen to what Jesus says the greatest command is. Verse 29. The most important command, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's beautiful, isn't it? The controlling imperative, the, the number one thing we're called to is love. Love firstly for God. Love that expresses itself from every aspect of our being that overflows out of every, every part of ourselves. And at first glance, it might seem a bit strange to command love. How can you command someone to love another? But the reality is that God is just lovely. When you know God, you can't help but love him. And the better that you get to know God, the more that your love for him will overflow. So if the Christian life is feeling dry for you, what could you do? 
I think the most invigorating thing is to just spend some time getting to know God better. Getting to know God better. How could you do that? Here's just a couple of ideas. Try reading through the Psalms. The Psalms are like poems. And many of these poems just overflow. Uh, they, they, they come out of someone overflowing in love for God. They love God so much they write these Psalms down. Some of the Psalms are about hard times as well. Yet even in those Psalms, we often see God's goodness in the midst of difficulty. And don't just go to the Psalms. Reflect on the gospel, friends. Reflect on God's love for you. God loves that he shows you by sending his son. Reflect on the Easter story, on Jesus' death for our sins, on his resurrection to life. Come to church over Easter. We'll do this together. We'll get to know God better. We'll spend some time considering what he has done for us. Let's grow in our love for God together. So love God and love your neighbor. Notice, though, it's not just love your neighbor. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And those last two words are where the real challenge lies. How much do you love and care for yourself? That's the measure that Jesus wants us to love one another with. It's a really big call, isn't it? Love one another as yourself. Let me say this. I've only been here a short time, a couple of months now. But in this short time at TNE, I think I've seen a lot of this love around the place. I've seen your love as many of you will meet a newcomer and help them find their feet at TNE. It's beautiful. I've seen many of you who notice something that just needs to be done, and so you go and do it. You don't think twice about it. That's an act of love for us. Thank you. I've heard stories about how you're expressing love in your community groups. Even amongst disagreement about what the passage is saying, you still love one another. I don't say this so we can give ourselves a pat on the back and, and, and say, job's done and go home. But I do want to say, I see this love amongst us, and this is a good thing. Be encouraged, friends, and push on. Keep going. Keep finding new ways to love one another and to express that. And, and don't let your love stop as you walk out that back door. Keep loving those around you, wherever you are, whether you're at work, at home, whether you're uh, out with friends or doing the shopping. How can you keep loving Love overflowing, that's the command. Life under Jesus' leadership looks like A, being all in, B, knowing our Bibles, C, obeying the command, the command to love. But it also looks like D. D for David's Lord. This one was a bit of a stretch to kind of fit in the A, B, C, D thing, but it's there. Verse 34, we read that no one will ask Jesus a question anymore. He's answered people so well. Uh, No one asks him a question anymore. So in verse 35, Jesus poses a question himself. It's a question about the Messiah. See, the Jews were expecting someone to come. They were waiting a special person to rise up and be their king. Someone called the Messiah. 
The Old Testament prophets said this person would be a descendant of King David, the great King David. And so Jesus asks in verse 35, why do the teachers of the law say that Moses is, say that, sorry, I'll start that again. Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? They say that the Messiah is the son of David because he's a descendant of David. He comes in David's family line. But Jesus wants us to push us further. He wants to expand our understanding of who the Messiah is. So he goes on in verse 36. This is Jesus. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying there's much more to the Messiah than you might first realize. He's more than David's son. The Messiah is David's Lord. The Messiah is the true ruler, the great leader, so much so that even the great King David will bend the knee before the Messiah. Even the great King David will call the Messiah his Lord, his master. And who is this Messiah? Of course, it's Jesus. Mark has already told us this in the very first sentence of his book. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord even over David, the great king, because Jesus is Lord of all. And that really is the question that we're left with, isn't it? Do we see Jesus as Lord? Do we see him as our leader? Are we prepared to live our life under him? Let him totally and utterly be our Lord. The Lord over my career choices. The Lord over, uh, over my wallet. The Lord over what I watch on TV. The Lord over how I drive. The Lord over how I spend my retirement. The Lord over every aspect of my life. See, even the great King David realized that he had a Lord. This Lord is Jesus. When we recognize that, we realize we're right back at the start, aren't we? To go all in with God means to recognize Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is David's Lord and he's our Lord too. And that's really what this clash of leadership is about. In Mark 11 and 12, there's this great clash of leadership. The leaders of the day versus Jesus. And the leaders of the day, they did not want to recognize who Jesus was. In fact, they refused to recognize who Jesus was. What about you? Is Jesus your leader? Is he your Lord? Are you prepared to live life under his authority? Let's pray. Let's pray to God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he comes not to keep the status quo, but to rescue us. Thank you that he rescues us out of our sin. Thank you that he comes as a leader who we can truly follow. Father, we pray no matter where each of us are today, that we would walk out of here 
considering how we might follow Jesus as our Lord and leader. Father, we ask for our lives, that you'd help us go all in on serving you. Help us to be people who know our Bible so we might know your power in our lives. Please help us live following your command to love. Please help us treat Jesus as our Lord. Father, we don't ask these things because they would save us, but we ask these things because in Christ Jesus you have already saved us. We want to live all in with you. We want to live with Jesus as our leader. Please help us do this in response. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.